I want to take a bit of a different approach this morning than I, than I normally would, and I'm not sure why, I'm just going to do it. And that is this, I'm going to, uh, I want to communicate some ideas to you through the message that I'm going to share with you. I ask that you stay focused with me and uh, there be minimal moving around because this is um, dealing with some little deeper issues today within each of us and I, um, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the words of my mouth and communicate it to your heart today as I know He's always faithful to do and I'm always amazed at His ability to do that. But my backwards approach today is going to be this, I, um, I'm going to communicate the message and then the scriptural text or the crowning text of it, I'm, I'm going to give it the very, very end as we, as we uh, take that approach. So just know that's what I'm doing. I haven't forgotten to read the Scripture today. <clears throat> if you're a parent, you've probably gone through the experience of having your child or your children in sports or some kind of competitive activity. How many parents do we have in the house today? Let me see your hand. Okay. And when your children are involved in that, you're always hoping and believing that they will do well and that they will be rewarded for their exceptional behavior. Sometimes you have to try several different things to, <clears throat> to see what their, excuse me, <clears throat> what their niche is going to be or what's going to be uh, best for them, and that's okay. Because we live in the great state of Texas, it's important that our child is the best in whatever field they are competing. Can I get an amen to that today <clears throat> from the true Texans? <clears throat> and if they're going to be the best, then there is a certain color ribbon that we're hoping that they're going to take home with them to be rewarded for their effort. And the color of the ribbon that we want them to bring home is what? Oh, good. You got that. Now, these days, have you noticed, they give out ribbons for everything and trophies, trophies for everything. All you have to do is show up with your clothes on and you get a ribbon for something, right? Just for participating. <clears throat> because we need to be sure that every child gets affirmed somehow, and that's all fine and good. And I hope that your child always brings home the ribbon that they deserve and the one that you want them to have. And so if you end up in first place, the color ribbon your child gets is? But if you come in second place, the color ribbon your child gets is? Oh, you got that. I want to talk to you today for just a minute as I bring a, <clears throat> a story before you uh, that you've heard before many times, and we've taken several different approaches to it. I just found there was something else here for us today. I want to talk to you about a man who was being trained for second place. Uh, I don't want to talk to you about the blue ribbon. I'm talking about the red ribbon. There was a man who was trained for second place by God. We've talked about him before, but I think there's more stuff to be mined out of this story today. God was positioning this man to be second place, and God was going to give him a dream that would lead him to this second place. And some of you have already guessed where we're going, but this red ribbon man from the Old Testament is Joseph. He was not to be the Pharaoh or the man totally in charge, but he was to be the associate or the second man in charge. His color was not red. Uh, his color was not blue. His color was red. And just imagine God developing a plan of training for this man, and just to be the red ribbon man or the second place man, God was going to put him through a 13-year 
training program for second place. We find the beginning of this story in Genesis chapter 37. This is another of those stories, we've mentioned this before also, another of those situations where the Bible makes specific mention of age. Uh, we've talked about the fact that we, we need to pay attention when the Bible says, and so-and-so was this age when this happened, or they were, they were this. That's usually there for a purpose, um, and we need to pay attention to that because there's usually some degree of significance to it, and it will most often have something to do with the timeline of the journey of that person that the Bible is communicating or speaking of. So we see in Genesis verse, chapter 37, starting with verse 2, that Joseph, when he has this dream at the beginning of this journey for him, he is 17 years old when he had his famous dream. And what we see here is essentially this, that God looked at a teenager and said, you're going to get a red ribbon. You're going to become second in charge of the planet, but the curriculum that I'm going to put you through to get you to that point is going to take 13 years. <clears throat> if I mention the name Leonard Ravenhill, there are some of you who will recognize that name as belonging to a man highly esteemed as an incredibly great man of God. He passed away in the mid-90s. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said this. He says, we've got, we've got this whole thing turned around. Think of it. Jesus trained for 30 years, and he preached for three years. Today, we train for three years and preach for 30 years. <clears throat> we must understand that the curriculum of God, the training of God, is on His timetable. It's according to His calendar and His schedule and not ours. And when you turn over to Genesis 41 and you see the end of the story, we see that verse 46 tells us that Joseph at the end of this situation, he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, and the dream was fulfilled. God took this red ribbon man through a curriculum that took 13 years to complete. How many of you remember Brother R.T. Kendall, the famous author that's spoken here a couple of times? You remember R.T. when he was here? Here's what R.T. says. He says, God's chosen vessels wait a long time before God uses them. There is a long tradition that those who are used most wait the longest. Those who are used most in the work of God tend to wait the longest. Now, you and I know it's very easy to get frustrated with God's timing and His curriculum. It's also frustrating because the curriculum that God tends to use on us, it, it goes to the very core of the junk that's inside of us. Who knows what I'm talking about today? I wish I could tell you that I always like it, but I don't. Sometimes I think, shouldn't it just be, instead of putting me through all of that, shouldn't it just be that someone just needs a high school diploma to be used by God? Doesn't that make more sense? There ought to be something easier than what He puts us through. But you and I both know that God doesn't need your diploma from high school or college. He has His own, very own special curriculum that He uses, and it's custom designed just for you. And that's exactly what He did for Joseph. Now, you and I would have designed something completely different for Joseph, probably. We would have, uh, if we were going to put him 
in a place where he was going to be second in charge of the planet. We would have encouraged him to get his MBA from Harvard, or maybe he should get his PhD, or, or maybe we would get him in touch with some uh, successful CEO and let him be mentored by someone of, of that stature. But none of that was God's plan for Joseph. Ravi Zacharias said, God does it his way. He trained Moses in a palace to use him in a desert, and he trained Joseph in a desert to use him in a palace. God finds his own unique and special and different way to do what he needs to do, and it's usually something different than you and I would choose. So I want to talk to you this morning, and the title of this message is The Curriculum. The Curriculum. I'm going to give it to you briefly in three pieces this morning, if you're taking notes. And we will quickly identify this as the curriculum that God used for Joseph. But I think there is every possibility that you may recognize some or all of it as the curriculum that God has designed for you and that He's putting you through. Let me give you the overview right now. Here's number three points. Number one, here's the curriculum. You're going to be, be betrayed by the closest people in your life. That's number one. I don't hear any hallelujahs so far this morning. Number one, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Number two, you're going to be accused of something and not able to defend yourself. That's the second part of the curriculum that you're going to go through. Number three, you're going to be promised something, something you really need, something you really wanted, something you, are, you desperately desire. You're going to be promised something, and then the very person who promised that to you is going to forget all about it. Do I get a witness here anywhere in the house this morning? So there's your curriculum. Sounds like fun. How many are with me? I'd rather just go get a diploma from a school someplace. That'd be easier, right? God saying, got a saying to Joseph. Here's what I'm going to use to teach you. And here's what I'm going to put you through. Betrayal, accusation, and broken promises. Why? Because these are the instruments that God needs and that He uses to get deep inside of you. And deep within you is where the work needs to be done. I had a friend say to me a couple of weeks ago, and I called this person this morning just to verify that I had the phrase correct, said this, the longer the disease has gone untreated, we're talking about the stuff inside of you, the longer the disease has gone untreated, the more radical the treatment needs to be to bring it to wholeness. Now, you can there are all the parallels you need to with that. You know people who have had, um, had a cancer that has grown, and the tentacles of it have, have, have expanded and wrapped itself around an organ of the body. The longer the disease has gone untreated, that's why sometimes it looks like you're having an overreaction to something, when the truth is, what's happened is, it's a radical treatment that is necessary because the disease has gone untreated that long. The longer the disease has gone untreated, the more radical the treatment is required to bring it to wholeness. Are you still awake this morning? I can't even hear you breathing. When God needs to do a deep work within you, He has to bring out His most radical 
instruments to perform his work. And so God's plan for Joseph looks something like this. Number one, I'm going to see if you can be betrayed by the closest people to you and still keep your heart right before God. That's the test. Can you be betrayed and not allow bitterness to penetrate your heart? Well, we can say amen, but that's not an easy one, is it, folks? Those of you who've lived any life, any journey of life at all, that's number one. Number two, I'm going to see if you can be accused without defending yourself and trust God to be your defender. Isn't that hard for us? It's hard for me. Because we are always ready to open up our mouth, aren't we, and prove that we are right. We have to prove it. We have this inner push and desire to be seen as right. But the test for Joseph, maybe for you today, can you be accused without defending yourself and trust God to be your defender? Oh, we're highly skilled at dragging out all the proof. We get the text. I got the text right here, right here. I got the emails right here. See, 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 look, look, look. Got it right here because we need to prove it. But the curriculum of God to Joseph calls for us to be, called for him to be quiet and let God defend us. How many just got an F this morning? You're not going to admit it, are you? Thirdly, can someone, can you have someone promise you something and then they forget all about it and don't come through? And the test there is to see if you will trust God as your source rather than trusting their promise as your source. And this was a curriculum that God custom designed for Joseph. And, and please keep in mind what I've already told you, this is the curriculum he would have to go through just to get the red ribbon. I can't even imagine what the blue ribbon curriculum looked like. I don't think I want to know. And there is no, no doubt that this curriculum is intense. And it was C.S. Lewis who said this, God never promised you would be without pain, but you can be without stain. You want to hear that again? God never promised that you would be without pain. Even in the midst of your pain, you can be without stain. When I simply think of it, of it related to ministry, which is my field, you know, my whole life I've known people in ministry, pastors, evangelists, uh, all kinds of people in ministry. You've heard me give the statistics before that in this country alone, 1,500 pastors a month quit the ministry. 1,500 a month, and I've verified it again. That's 50 per day. And now I've even heard more recent statistics that go like this. In the first 10 years of ministry, in the first 10 years of ministry, 50%, 5-0, of pastors leave the ministry within the first 10 years. And then it gets worse. Over a lifetime of ministry, 90% will never retire as a pastor. 90%. So let's take a very quick look at each of these three points of curriculum through which God took Joseph and see if there's any correlation for you. Number one, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. 
Those closest to you will not only throw you under a bus, but in Joseph's case, they threw him in a pit. You know the story. And we will always have difficulty seeing it this way, Bethesda, but it's still true. When people are hurting you, they are preparing you. When people are hurting you, they are preparing you. It doesn't feel like it in that moment, but that's the perspective I'm trying to give you today. The action that people are taking against you is preparing you for that which God is wanting to do deep inside of you. The great Christian Missionary Alliance pastor A.W. Tozer said this. He says, before God can use a man or a woman greatly, and let me just ask this, how many really want to be used by God? Let me see your hand. You really want to be used by God. Before God, C.S. Lewis says, I'm sorry, A.W. Tozer said, before God can use a man or a woman greatly, sometimes he has to wound them deeply. And where do these wounds come from? They come from the people who are closest to you. And that's because hurt is proportional to intimacy. Hurt is proportional to intimacy. The closer you are, the more it hurts and the less they have to do to hurt you. All I need to do is get one look on Becky Sue's face and it can shatter my day. Not that she's ever done that. You married people, you know what I'm talking about. She just has to look a certain way. And I know I'm in trouble. I know something's not right. It's just a look. I know I've disappointed. I know something's happened. And that's the way it is because the closer, hurt is proportional to intimacy. The closer you are, the more it hurts. And when Joseph's own brothers take him and throw him in a pit and eventually sell him into slavery, it's all part of the curriculum of God to see if Joseph can be betrayed by the closest people in his life and not become a skeptic. And not become then a loner. I've been hurt and my way of reacting to hurt, my response to this is this. I'm going to become a loner and nobody ever again will hurt me, ever going to cocoon myself. I am not going to have that in my life. But the test is, can you still love people after being hurt and not become a cynic? And without becoming one who profiles everybody then saying, well, that's the way Christians are. That's the way pastors are. That's the way supervisors are. This is so important to understand because it is very difficult for you to have close relationships without having some very deep scars within you. And here's the reality. I'd love to say it another way. I'd love to give it to you another way, but here's the truth. If you keep breathing and if your heart keeps beating in your chest, you are going to be betrayed every once in a while. How many can say I'm telling the truth? Most people have at least two to three opportunities or, or two to three 
more for most, but at least a minimum of two to three forks in the road where they come upon a deep betrayal like Joseph. And they have to decide when they come to that fork in the road which path they are going to take. You have a choice when you have been betrayed. You can either take the bitterness path or the forgiveness path, and it's up to you which one you will choose. And all I'm bringing before you, I'm asking you this morning to remember that when you choose, if you're standing at that fork today, am I going to take the bitterness path or the forgiveness path from the hurt? But Dan, you don't know how bad they hurt. Yeah, it hurts. I know. I know it hurts. But you've got a choice. And that choice is all, which one you take, it's all part of God's curriculum for you. The knee-jerk reaction that so many people have is that they quickly respond to a deep betrayal by withdrawing and deciding that they don't need anybody in their life. That's their first go-to, and that is so untrue. You do need people in your life. It's so unbiblical. You do need the body of Christ in your life. Can I get an amen? And though we need to be close to people, the truth still remains that every time you get close to people, there is always a risk. Yes, there is a risk. I've been betrayed by friends. You've been betrayed by friends, people that I trusted. But I want to tell you this. God, in His mercy, and because of His grace, every time I've been betrayed, God has been faithful to bring some other significant person into my life. And why would He do that? To me, why would He do that to you? Because I think as much as anything, He's just to keep us believing in the value of relationships and in the value of investing in people. Because it doesn't take me long to conclude when, once he does that and I see his grace in my life and see him bringing someone to my life that I wasn't expecting, wasn't anticipating, it doesn't take me long to conclude that it was worth every scar and every pain. It was worth it. And I'm thankful that God restores my faith in humanity and that's what God was doing to Joseph. Number two, Joseph's curriculum required this. You're going to be accused of something not able to defend yourself. It's being accused of something you didn't do, but you can't even defend yourself. Augustine, the great fourth century preacher, said this. He said, Lord, deliver me from the lust of always wanting or always needing to vindicate myself. Deliver me from the lust of always wanting to vindicate myself, of always needing to tell my side of the story. And here's reality. There will be some seasons in your life where God will not allow you to tell your side of the story. It won't happen. And when that happens, dear friend, you will have to trust Him to vindicate you. It is going to happen in your life, God will say. You're not going to be able to defend yourself, but rather you're going to have to trust me to be your defender. Who's glad God's your defender today? In Joseph's case, he was accused of sexually assaulting his, bo his boss's wife within Potiphar's house. You know it. When he was sold into slavery, they sold him to Egypt. He went to Potiphar's house. He was an official in Pharaoh's court. And the wife, Pharaoh's uh, wife, was so taken with Joseph's, Potiphar's wife was so taken with Joseph's looks that she makes a pass at him and he wouldn't respond to it, saying he would not sin against God. So then she accused him of raping her, and the husband, without finding the right side of the story, accused him, threw him in jail, and Joseph was never able to vindicate himself. Now, remembering, Joseph was pure. 
He literally ran away from temptation. Not only did he not succumb to temptation, he ran away from it. And we find that the real story, the correct story, the real truth of what happened never came out. And he lived with the stigma of his accusation. Some of you in this room are living with the stigma of an accusation of something you did not do. Further, he didn't even vindicate himself after he rose to power when he could have done it. When he had the power, he had the resource, he had the authority to vindicate himself because he was second in charge of the planet. If that had been you or me, what would we have done? The minute we were put in power, we would have been, guess whose door we would have been knocking on? Hey, remember me? Hey, yo, Mr. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar, guess who's going to jail? That's what you and I would have done, right? And even when Joseph had it within his power to vindicate himself, he never went to their door, but he took this position. God, I'm going to trust you to vindicate me on this. I just have a weird sense. I want you to say that with me right now. Whoever, for whoever, uh, whomever it applies, would you say this? God... I'm going to trust you to vindicate me. Say that. God, I'm going to trust Lord, deliver me from the lust of always needing to tell my side of the story. And do you know what, church? When we take that position, we are being more like the Lord. Because God is not one who is ever in a rush to vindicate himself. God will let the entire planet, the universe, slander him and heap accusations on him. And you hear it as often as I do. God, you don't exist. Why did you do this? I thought you were a God of love. Why did you allow that? The church, there is coming a day. I'm saying there is coming a day when God will tell the whole story and it will be the truth. God's curriculum to Joseph looked like this. Number one, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. And can you be betrayed and not become bitter? Pain, yes. Stain, no. Number two, can you be accused without vindicating yourself or accused with no way of vindicating yourself? And like Joseph, possibly lose your job, lose your career. Even if you have all the evidence to substantiate your position. But God says, in the way he was teaching and training Joseph, just be quiet. Just be, but I want them to know, I want them to know. Oh, I, oh, I didn't do, I want them to know. Just be quiet and trust the Lord. There's a verse that I love in Genesis 30, 33. Speaking of Jacob, Jacob says this, My honesty will answer for me later. Jacob says, My honesty will answer for me later. I will choose to trust integrity over accusation. Number three, my final point. Finally, the school of Joseph was this. Someone promised him something and then forgets about it. Something he really needed, and they forget about it. 
Put him to confinement called prison because you're accused of raping the boss's wife. Now he's in jail. And here's what's really crazy about this story. When for Joseph, he looked least like a leader, when he looked least positioned to step, uh, poised to step into the position in which God was going to place him, when he looked least likely, he's in a prison jumpsuit. He was at that very moment closest to his dream. You may be at this hour looking least like you're about to move into the very will of God that he has designed for you. You know it, you see it, you have a vision of it, you have a dream for it, it's sitting right there in your head, but your circumstances look like, look least like you are positioned to step into that. It's the same thing that happened to Joseph. He looks so far from the dream and has no idea he's never been closer. Bethesda, only God's school does stuff like this. So you know what happens, the baker and the cupbearer get thrown into jail from Pharaoh's court, and then they have a dream. They come to Joseph, and they said, we had a dream. And there sits Joseph in prison with them. He's already there, got his jumpsuit on, and here come two other guys. They said, we have, we have a dream. And, well, and here's the deal. Interpreting dreams is, is Joseph's gift. It's his thing. It's what he does. And remember, Joseph's dream is what got him thrown into prison. So if I'm in prison and two more guys come in and they've been thrown in prison because of having a dream and, and they, if they come to me and started talking to me about interpreting their dream, I probably would have said, hold on, I don't want to hear nothing about your dream. It was a dream that got me in this mess. Just keep your dream to yourself is probably what I would have done. But there's a point in this I want you to hear me. Listen carefully. There's Joseph. In a convict jumpsuit, convict number 38729, whatever. And here they come with their dream. The cupbearer and the baker from Pharaoh's court. And even as a prisoner, they come to Joseph, even as a prisoner, Joseph still is being used in his gift. Which tells me something. And I'm happy to share it with you. You don't need a position. You don't need a title. You don't need a blog. You don't need a business card. If God has given you a gift, it can be used anywhere, anytime, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Where's Gary Kate? Is Gary here this morning? I thought I heard him. For crying out loud, Gary Kate, one of my buddies. He can lead someone to Jesus at a gas station while he's filling the car with gas. I've seen him do it. I've heard about him doing it, I should say. God, if God has given you a gift, it can be used anywhere, anytime. And yet, you've heard this happen. I see people leaving a church all the time because no one recognized their gift. Hello? Trust me, music pastors get that quite often. Can I get an amen from the front row here? I'm just going to have to go to another church where they recognize my gift. They don't know. They don't seem to know how well I preach. They don't know the anointing on my life. They don't know how well I can sing. No one is giving me the microphone. All they have me doing is just greeting at the door. My answer is, so preach to the people when they walk in the door. They wouldn't let me sing a solo with the choir. You know what they did, Pastor Brent? They stuck me in the nursery. 
I'm a soloist. And they stuck me in the nursery. Here's the answer, sweetheart. Then sing those crying babies to sleep and let's see how good you really are. It doesn't matter where you are, dear friend. If you have a gift, it can be used in any situation. Makes me think of something else. I wrote a new beatitude the other day. Nobody's asked me to put it in the Bible. All of my years of working with professional musicians, watching them walk in singers, Instrumentalists walking in and out of the studio in Nashville and other places that I've, by far, most, large majority of musicians and singers I have worked with are wonderful, godly people, just glad to be working, glad they got a call for another situation and, and all of that. Every once in a while, you have someone who walks in who has this desperate need to tell you, well, I just came from this gig, or I just came from, I sang, I was backup singer for so-and-so last night at this venue, and la-la-la-la-la-la-la. And, and I couldn't help but over the years just see that juxtaposition of the two different kinds of people in my music world. I'm sure it happens in your world. And I finally came up with this beatitude. You know what I'm going to say? Blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman, who has nothing left to prove. Blessed is the man who has nothing left to prove. Don't you know people in your life that are trying to prove it? Trying to prove through their gift what their value is to humanity? Trying to prove somehow. And I just see the one who's no longer striving. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who has nothing left to prove. So we're back to Joseph. There he is in prison. Then one day... He steps out of the jumpsuit, and they put a robe on him, and I think there's interest to the way the Bible says that. It says, God can change it for you in one day. I just want somebody this morning, I don't care who it is, if just one person is encouraged from the fact that your circumstance, your situations do not look like the dream you have that you believe God has for you that he's given you for your life and you feel so far away from it today, I want you to know we serve a God who is so capable and so powerful and so controls this universe, he can change your circumstance in one day. One day. When Joseph felt furthest, felt like he wasn't even close to the dream. He's remembering that God gave him the dream at 17 years of age, and now here, here he is, an old man of 30 years old, He's sitting in a jail, and he interprets the dream of the baker and the cupbearer. You know, what he could have said is, uh-uh, I, I, don't want, I don't want anything to do with your dream. Go find somebody else. I'm not going to interpret your dream. I'm sick and tired of this dream thing. It's not worked out for me very well. If that had happened, and he wasn't being used in his gift, he would have never gotten out. And here's the way it goes down. When he interprets the dreams of both the baker and the cupbearer, it's the cupbearer who goes back to Pharaoh. Even though he promised he would go back, promised Joseph, I'll go back and, and, and tell him that you interpret dreams and you're cool and all that. He promised he would go back and immediately tell Pharaoh about this young man who interpret dreams. But the Bible says this. When you read it, it says it was two years. Two more years of being in that prison. In fact, the Bible makes it a little further. It says it was two full years. 
before the cupbearer remembered to talk to Pharaoh about Joseph. Oh, he just got taken away with his own stuff. He quickly forgot that, walked off and did his thing, and Joseph was out of his mind. But if Joseph had not interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, they'd never know he had the gift. Which means this, if Joseph had copped an attitude because of where he was, unhappy over his circumstances and his situation, and that he was not living out the dream he thought God had for him, and he was upset that he wasn't doing what he thought he should be doing, he would have never gotten out with that attitude. That because he did it in a situation and a venue that did not look like a stage with choir chairs and a pulpit with a microphone and smoke and lights, he went ahead and moved in his gift Nothing but convicts all around him. He still was used by God. And two years later, guess what happens? Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, does anybody know anybody who can interpret a dream? Suddenly, the cupbearer goes, you know, hey, yeah, a couple years ago, I met a guy, I know a guy. I, I, yeah, yes. Yeah, I remember him. What was his name? Hmm. And in one day, in one day, Joseph steps out of his jumpsuit. They put a robe on him, and the dream is fulfilled in one day. When you feel the furthest, you are probably the closest. Am I speaking to anybody today? Let me close with this. Come on, Brent. <clears throat> One of the great British scientists named Alfred Russell Wallace was working with some emperor moths. I had to read up on this. This particular species of moth has an eight-inch wingspan, and their coloring is spectacular. Wallace was watching this caterpillar trying to go through the metamorphosis process to become this beautiful butterfly. But the butterfly was stuck in its cocoon. And through this little teeny tiny pinhole, the scientist was watching the amazing work of God's creation as this butterfly was struggling, fighting to try to get through this little teeny tiny hole. Well, the scientist concluded, that poor butterfly, he ain't going to make it. He, he, he just didn't see any way that the butterfly was going was to get through that teeny tiny hole. And so he had a bright idea. He said, I'm going to take him, I'm going to find a small instrument that he had in the lab. And he cut the hole just a little bit larger. Therewith, allowing the butterfly to get out. With ease, it popped right out. Then he said, the scientist said, and there it was. It popped out of the cocoon, but it lost its color, and it was unable to fly. Why? I'm going to use a word I don't like. Come, you know, just forgive me. Because there was mucus all over the wings. And he then determined that what made, that when he made the hole larger, and he took away the butterfly's struggle, he took away its flight. And in moments, that butterfly died because it could not be what it was designed to be. 
And the scientist Wallace said this, that little hole that you think is just a pain in the neck, that struggle you're going through that just seems impossible and worthless and like you'll never get anywhere, it makes you feel so confined. However, as the butterfly is going through the struggle to get through the confining hole, guess what? All of that struggle is causing the mucus to fall off. So that when he gets out of that cocoon, and he works his way with all the struggle and the fight and the issues and the sleepless nights and the phone calls you didn't want to get and the emails you didn't want to get and the stuff you had to put up with with work and the stuff your kids brought to you, all that stuff, it's that stuff when the wings come out, they are mucus free. But if you open it up and you abort the plan of God and His design, and you try to short-circuit the curriculum God has designed to put you through, and you prevent the struggle, then guess what, baby doll? The mucus is still there. So Bethesda, when God puts you in betrayal, accusation, broken promises, you may think, this stinks. hate it. But I want you to know something. When that's happening to you, God is saying to you, I am getting junk off of you that has to come off before you're going to be all that I have designed you to be, before you're going to be fit to be perfectly within my will. But when you are willing to go through that struggle and let the stuff fall off of your wings that needs to come off, then he says, now it's time to fly and I can change everything for you in one day. Bless the Lord. Stand to your feet right now. Everybody up. Oh, you've worn me out this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, you are so faithful to us. Ways we see it in ways we don't see. Just uh, quickly, by show of hands, every head up, every eye open today. If I'm talking to somebody who feels like you're Going through God's curriculum, just lift your hand. I want to see who I'm praying for. I'm glad we're not going to do it one at a time. It's most of the people in the house. We'll be here till tonight. You're in God's curriculum. May have a few variations according to His plan for you, according to His design for you. But I pray in the name of Jesus that you have received something from the truth of the Word today. Here's the scripture. I promised you at the beginning. It's from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I think they've got it to show you. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you or as if something just, you know, took you over, that it had, there's no plan, there's no design behind it. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead... Be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. So the appeal today to all of us, kind of the bottom line to this, 
Are you going to trust the Lord or are you not going to trust the Lord? I think I've admitted this before. Trust for me is not a one-time thing. I have to come back to it continually. I trusted for yesterday when I was having a problem with Brent. But now I'm having a problem with Gerard. I really got to trust God for this one. The, the trust I had in God dealing with Brent, that was fine. But this is a whole new set of circumstances over here. Whole new set of circumstances. I, I don't know. I did, I did okay here. I don't know about this one. God, I've got to figure out. I come again. Help me trust you. What key are you in? I don't like that key. Go to... Um, E-flat. Here's the issue. Are you going to trust God with your relationships? Even when you're betrayed. The people that are hurting you or preparing you. Are you going to trust God to be your defender? He wants to be. He can be. Which means keep your mouth shut and let God defend you. Number three. Are you going to trust God to be your resource. That's the, that's the issue. God, we stand before you this morning. We're truly grateful that you are working in our lives, even when it's difficult. When we feel the struggle, we've had no idea that bitterness from betrayal is coming off. It's that mucus falling off our wings. We've had no idea that in the struggle, personal vindication, it's coming off. Being forgotten by man, but always remembered by you, God. So today we put our trust in you. We do it in the, from the balcony to the main floor to the platform. Even when everything in us wants to abort. We've been praying for God to open up that hole of the cocoon just a little bit more. So we can jump out of this thing. That's the way we've been praying. But today God you're wanting us to trust you in the struggle. You want, we want to trust you that the mucus is coming off the wings trust you that you can in one day change everything. And God, we want a second wind to get through the circumstances that we're in.